Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hi. You know that movie you always wanted to see, but you didn't for whatever reason? Well, I call those black hole films. Everyone has them, and this podcast aims to do something about that. I'm Jeremy Lalonde, and every episode I'll be joined by one or more guests to watch a film that at least someone in that group hasn't seen. We'll talk about our expectations of it before it, and then our thoughts after it. This is episode 76, and if you're digging the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, wherever it is you listen to it. This week I'm by myself again to bring you the final part of my ongoing James Bond series. The first three parts are available on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you listen to us, so check those out. This installment will exclusively cover the films of Daniel Craig, which I think really do a lot to bring Bond up to speed with modern audiences in a way that kind of puts the early installments to shame, though it's not their fault, mostly. So without further ado, let's sit down and watch the last whack of James Bond films. Daniel Craig. Um, Jesus, where do I start? I, I haven't seen this movie a ton, and probably not since it first came out, but holy shit, do I love this movie. This is not just a great James Bond movie, it's just a great movie overall. Um, it's the first time we've really got a sense that Bond has been rebooted completely. Like, he's back, they've shed him of everything. He His double O status is... Is is brand new at the beginning of the movie, so this is treated like a complete reboot of the character, uh, which is is the first thing we've had in in these twenty films that came before, and I love that about it. You know, I forgot that it started in black and white. It's you know within seconds, it's it's kind of the most stylish Bond film we've ever gotten. You know, the brutality and clumsiness of blonde, of Bond blonde. I, I, you know, of course, Daniel Craig is the blonde Bond, so I keep on doing that. But but the brutality and the clumsiness of Bond's first kill is just fantastic, and it just sets us up for kind of the awkwardness he's going to have the entire movie, you know. Um, and staying with him for a moment as he takes in what he did when he kills someone for the first time is something we've never seen in a Bond before, and it's great. I mean, welcome back, Martin Campbell. You were sorely missed after Goldeneye. Uh, I love the spin on the intro with him shooting through the graphic uh, for his, his first kill. It's really, really... What a great opening. And I, I don't usually talk about the opening title sequences, but I love this one. I love the style, the animation, the use of the playing cards in it. I forgot that it was Mads Mikkelsen. Mikkelsen? Mikkelsen? As uh, Le Chief, the chef, I think, is the main character. Oh, that opening. Do you believe in God? No, I believe in reasonable rate of return. That's how you introduce a character and how awesome they are. Uh, I love the parkour chase down in foot. It's really phenomenal. It shows us something we haven't seen before in Bond. And again, this is a brutal Bond who is rough around the edges. Uh, you know, we get that great beat between him and Vesper as they're, as they're trying to figure each other out. And we get a sense that Bond is probably uh, an orphan and had a rougher upbringing and doesn't come from wealth. And, and love that. Love that. Uh, I love seeing M in bed. With who we assume is her husband, although maybe she's just a a, a ladies a ladies man or a man what ladies lady I don't know. However that goes, I just love these little hints at a bigger character. 
I love how smart we see Bond being using M's login to get things he needs. Uh, I forgot there's a Body Worlds exhibit moment in here. That airport sequence is just just phenomenal. Uh, we don't get a Q or a Money Penny here, which is great. Uh, I think that works resetting it. Uh, and I also kind of feel like Vesper Lind is kind of Money Penny, since when she introduces herself, she says that I'm the money. Uh, that's what I'm gonna believe because I desperately just want Money Penny and Bond to hook up, and uh, and so that's in my heart. Uh, Vesper Lind is the original Money Penny, and she dies tragically. But we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, I love when Bond orders a drink at the poker table and everyone wants the same drink and Mads gets pissed off. Uh, I love how long the poker sequence goes on and how in-depth it is and, and how they keep on coming back to it. You know, that fight between Bond and the assailant where Vesper comes in and awkwardly helps. And then that beautiful fucking scene in the shower where he, he sits down with her. The intimacy in that scene is just fucking phenomenal. I mean, she saves him twice. She saves him in that scene in the, like, not the alley, but the the stairwell. She saves him there, and then she saves him with the defibrillator. And that defibrillator scene is phenomenal. I love it so much. Um, and I love when she gets kidnapped, and they put her on the road, and he has to drive around her. All that kind of stuff. It's just smart and messy, and I love that about this film. You know, I love that Mads as kind of our clear-cut villain, has people above him. He's not answering to everybody. I mean, he is answering to other people, you know? He's, he's not this, this big bad who ex- exists in this vacuum. I love that it, it, it sets up this idea of this bigger world that we don't know anything about. You know, I think that's such... And he's vulnerable, too, you know? He has that moment where he, he's kind of begging for his life. Um, and, then, and then the movie feels like it's ending, and you get that amazing scene where Vesper and Bond give it over to each other. And, you know, she says that he's more of a man than anyone she's ever met just when this pinky. And then the vulnerability she shows in that moment, she's shaking. And then he says he has no armor left and that she's stripped of him from him. It's the most romantic we've ever seen Bond, even when he was getting ready to marry Tracy. I mean, oh, the Bond and Vesper relationship is so fucking beautiful. It's, it's fumbly and real He's you know he, he quits the mi mi six for her and then the reversal is so devastating it's heartbreaking even more so when we find out she's being blackmailed and 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 somehow saved him it's just ugh it's so beautiful and it's just really really another thing that helps us set up bond this new bond and knowing why he's going to be hard towards women and why he's not going to trust anybody you know we really needed to see. Uh, a new side of Bond and why and how he becomes the man that we know. And I think this movie does that in a way that's so refreshing and beautiful and real that it, it, it does things that no Bond film has ever done before. And it's hard, a hard, hard act to follow. Um, you know, I love overall how different this version of the character is, how he's figuring out to become Bond. Something very refreshing about it. You know, it, it ends on kind of a down note, but just a, a strong note, too, of knowing that he's going to come back stronger. Uh, and so I, I, I'm going to pop Quantum of Solace in right away. Even though it's late, I got to watch it right away. I remember not loving it the first time I saw it, and I don't remember a lot about it. I remember being confused. But, I mean, I'm just so jazzed up by this that I can't not watch it right away. I'm not the ringer with the slick trigger finger for her majesty. Another one with the golden tongue poison in your fantasy. Another bill from 
Quantum of Solace might actually be the shortest Bond film. And this might be my shortest installment in this series uh, because I don't have a ton to say about it, to be honest. Um, I mean, let's get into it. The reveal that there's someone in the trunk after that epic car chase is pretty fantastic. And that is the fucker from Casino Royale. I think his name is Mr. White, is even better. I really enjoy the opening. I think it's really dynamic. I love the way we just push in on that car and then the speed cuts. You know, I think that's really, really great. I love the lingering effect that Vesper has on Bond and how cold and bitter he is about what happened. That said, MI6 really has a problem with double agents that they need to look into. Like, seriously, it's bad. I love the parkour aspect of this Bond. That scaffolding fight chase is fantastic. Mark Forrester, uh, who directs this film, does an amazing job of letting us know where those two guns are amongst all the chaos that's going on. The screen geography is just fantastic. Kudos for that. I love the way the subtitles of the cities are used and how they're all unique to the places they're from. I love that Felix is back from the CIA. I really liked him Casino Royale. Great to see him get some more screen time, get in the action. I mean, so this is a weird film. After Casino Royale, all you desperately want is closure, given how heartbreaking that finale is. And we get it, but it's boring. I mean, the plot is a tinge confusing, which is not uncommon for Bond films. I do know that I saw this film when it first came out, and I feel like it put me to sleep. I was able to stay with it this time, but I was nowhere nearly as emotionally invested all the way I was with this pre- like the way I was with this predecessor, which is a shame. But that's kind of the curse of these Bond films. It seems like everyone's first outing is the is the sharpest in the group. We learned that Vesta, Vesper uh, was truly being used by her boyfriend, which is nice to know. Uh, ugh, I still that relationship so great, but also entirely needed for Bond to have his heart broken and destroyed just for the series to work. You know, but we learned that her boyfriend was manipulating her and using her uh, just the way he's done with a long line of women. And luckily Bond saves this guy's newest recruit. And she's Canadian. Yay! So it's nice to see that all get wrapped up. It's just a shame that we cared so little about it in the end, otherwise. Um, You know, it's a nice moment when Bond gets to admit that Vesper wasn't the bitch they labeled her as at the end of Casino Royale. Because that was such a tragic and sad shift he made, given how beautiful they just really, really made that relationship and and pure and honest. It's, It's a Bond we've never seen before. And, and I love that we got to see it, even if it was just for small moments. So the women, Strawberry Fields. I mean, yes, that name is ridiculous. Do I love it? Of course. Uh, it's fun. She's barely in the film, and really just so that Bond can get to bed someone at some point, and then serve as a callback to Goldfinger. You know, we get, we get a 50-year-old callback, but this time it's the oil edition of that. You know, between that, Ray Mathis, and Vesper, it, it's enough for M to give Bond shit that he kills everyone around him, um, or at least is involved in their deaths. I'm not sure we have to consistently reinforce that with the death of women, but it's a trope that the franchise is probably never going to get over using, and I guess that's just that. The bright spot in the film is Camille. She's the first Bond girl ever that Bond does not sleep with, I'm pretty sure. I'd, I'd love to confirm that, but I'm pretty sure that's accurate. Um, they have a single simple kiss, and then she leaves him behind. We don't fade off to them in the sunset. I mean, it's a really beautiful and strong thing, especially given where he's at emotionally. And he's still you know, dealing with his complicated feelings over Vesper. 
and I think he will for for the rest of the time. You know, he's her Tracy uh, in, in this version of Bond. I like that Camilla is equal to Bond. You know, she used her sexuality to climb the ranks of Green's organization, and Bond's accepting of that, as he should be. I mean, given the way his character has always freely used sex to get whatever he needs, she has a great arc and a great ending, and she's a fantastic character. And a really grounded, realistic Bond girl, and I love it. She's barely a Bond girl. You know, she's, she's kind of above it in so many ways. So I didn't hate this film. I found it entirely watchable, but largely forgettable. It's not a groaner. I still find Craig's Bond to be the most fascinating to watch of all the Bonds, I think. I'm super looking forward to the next film. I think I committed a cardinal sin and tried to watch it once on a red-eye flight, which is a terrible way to experience a great big film like this anyway. And I think I missed most of it from passing out. So basically, I think I can safely go into this next film just saying I haven't seen it. Uh, But I'm super excited to, based on the buzz, I am tremendously excited to check out Skyfall. So I definitely have seen Skyfall, and and so much of it did come back to me while I was watching it. Although I gotta say, I did it. I did see this in not the greatest um, of, of, of ways. I saw it, I think, on a flight, and so I'm so glad to finally watch it here on a much bigger screen. Beautiful, beautiful. Sam Mendes directs the hell out of this film, and Deacons shoots what's probably. The prettiest Bond film ever. I mean, that stuff when he first gets back to Skyfall in Scotland and you see the, those great exteriors. What a! It's just gorgeous. There's so much beautiful cinematography in this film. Uh, it's it's phenomenal and it just adds to what I think might end up being the best Bond film of all time. It's really really great. Uh, l- let's just dive into it. I love when the opening shot shows Bond in action and this film does that and it, the opening chase is just really thrilling you know I love it when he rams the bike into the bridge the wall just to give him that thrust to jump into a moving train that bulldozer sequence is great although I, my one complaint is that Bond's shot in the shoulder and really doesn't feel like that outside of seeing the blood in there it just doesn't come off that way um I love this new Money Penny. We don't realize she's Money Penny until the very end of the film. Um, but man, I really, really love her in the field and in action. And I'll get into her more as I go through this because there's a lot of love and hate for for everything that goes on with her character. You know, I love that she's the one that shoots shoots Bond down. What a genius stroke that this movie makes! It's just that concept that. You know, she's the one that actually kills Bond unofficially, um, even though they think he's dead for a while. Although that's happened before, especially the one where Bond gets taken into uh, captivity and tortured for a year and a half. The opening credits for these uh, Daniel Craig films have been amongst my favorites. And Adele's opening song here is fantastic and easily, easily one of the top five Bond songs of all time. I love that it starts with M kind of being on the shit list and being forced into retirement. You know, and Bond comes back to avenge his fallen agents 
after she's she's made her her mistakes. You know, I love I love that this series in general has really given M a story and plays with her relationship with Bond. I mean, I think by and large Judy Dench, even in the the Pierce Brosnan uh, movies, you know, Judy Dench really gets something to play more so than M has gotten ever in the past. I love the evaluation sequence with Bond going through all the things. Clearly, he's not in top shape, and we find out later that he did not pass these evaluations, which we are not surprised to find out either. I love the stuff with Q, the intro meeting, the, the, his line saying, well, you're expecting an exploding pen. We don't go for that anymore. And then, and then the joke about the, um, the radio, latest from Q Branch. What a, great, what a great running gag that comes back later on as well. So much great action stuff, you know, a Bond grabbing the elevator and hitching a ride to go up with that guy. Uh, the casino fight with those giant creepy lizard things is really, really fantastic. Back to Money Penny for a second. That, that, that scene where she shows up and shaves Bond, just, there's no better, I mean, this is a guy, you know me, you've been listening to this. I have a big love for the Bond Money Penny relationship. And we've never seen a scene like that between them and between a lot of these Bond women uh, in, in general. And the way this series just handles these long supporting characters in, in this film is really, really enjoyable. It makes them important to the stories and not just there as part of the trope. Uh, I love that sequence and it makes me want a million more like that. And it really wants me for them to delve into this relationship and really let her be an equal to Bond. Uh, which I, I worry that's not going to happen as this series continues on. I will say, so we have the one traditional real Bond girl in this movie is uh, very, very short-lived. I mean, she, she's she gone halfway through the movie. He jumps into the shower with her, which feels a, tra- a tad presumptuous at the moment. And then she's killed off really quickly. And then there's just a joke about how that's, you know, the real tragedy is that they wasted good scotch. Uh, and then they move on from that. You know, she, she's barely, she, she, her character only exists to get to us to, uh, Javier Bardem Silva who, so, you know, let's just finish up that before we get into him. So the treatment of women in this film, not amazing. Um, although I do kind of like the refreshing take of not having a real bond girl in this film. And uh, and not having him with this love interest. I really feel like the love interest in this film is M. I really feel like it's a story about the two of them. And I, and I love that about it. It's really refreshing in that way. Um, so Bardem. It takes us like a, ye- uh, a year. An hour. To, to get even a, a glimpse of, of him. Or who, who our big bad of this movie is. And he gets that amazing rat speech. Talking about how you create this super creepy villain type um which is basically him talking about the creation of himself and how m basically her turned him into this always walking towards cameras it's a real beautiful moment um i mean we've seen enough movies at this point of bad guys getting captured that it, it's no shock that we we realize he's been captured on purpose um you know, I really love his backstory, but man, it feels like he's complaining about how things are done. That we all know this is how things are done. If an agent is given up in the field, they're supposed to be denied their existence. That's, that's how it's done in not only the Bond series, but Mission Impossible, so many of this stuff. It, it, it's a trope at this point. So it's shocking. You know, it really just feels like he's this whining kid who's mad at his mother. 
And that's that's an ongoing thing in this narrative uh, that we, we I can continue to get into. Now, I will say though that whole escape sequence with Silva is just fantastic. I love the makeup design when he when he shows the the ramifications of what happened to him. What I really love about this this whole kind of second act is how they use London and the UK here the way we would normally see another city. It's a stroke of genius. It makes the film really refreshing compared to some of the the simple non-stop shifting variety of locations that these Bond films have. I love that this film takes place uh, in the United Kingdom for the most part. You know, we do get some exotic locales throughout, but it, but it really feels like a film about the birth of MI6 in a weird way and really, really giving, you know, the origins of this, this location and the city and where Bond hails from. It's, it's a real nice throwback uh, and, and makes this film simple in a really, really beautiful way. You know, we even have we have M fighting for the future of MI6 itself. We learned that her husband died, who we we saw in one of the prior films. You know, you, you really start to get a sense of M. I love you know when when Bardem bursts into the hearing and that all action sequence that involves refines and and just everyone money pennies on the action. I really love how it, it just feels like a team. I love that the action has brought back to Bond's childhood home. I love. Albert Finney is Kincaid. He's he's this crusty old man. You know that shot of the weapons that they have to deal with, and how stacked the odds are against Bond. You know the simplicity of the ending is so so good. It's small. It's back to basics, and bless you, Skyfall, for that. This film knows it doesn't need a never-ending location-shifting montage of just nonstop gun battle. I mean, we do get that a bit, but. It takes place at a house in the middle of nowhere in Scotland. That's all we need. It's about characters. It's about so much more than that. And it's great. I mean, that's how you blow up a house. How they do it in this movie. It's it's pretty phenomenal. And and I think this just shows that you don't need, you know, to destroy a city for, for an ending to feel phenomenal. I just really love how simple uh, the end game of this film is. And, and, and it's really, really appreciated from someone who is kind of getting tired of just non-stop destruction at the ends of action movies. You know, I think this film takes it a step back and makes it personal, and I, I really, really appreciate that. The simplicity is, is amazing. You know, and we get the ending in Silva. So I love the, the, the whole ending in the church. I love the idea of Silva just wanting, you know, I, I love the concept of, of Silva and what, what he's what he's mad about. But just this idea of the way he comes off as a whiny child, just desperate for M's attention. Uh, it's just kind of unfortunate in some ways. The film is fucking phenomenal. It's likely the best in the entire series, and it's for a lot of reasons. It tells a personal story that's deeply connected to everyone inside of MI6. It almost feels like the birth of what we know to be the status quo of the organization, from the introduction of Q, you know, introducing Money Penny, the more traditional male version of M following the death of Dench's iteration. You know, I get that Dench needed to wrap up, and, and she's given a sensational swan song here, even if I don't love the whole angle of the villain killing her over what essentially comes down to mommy issues. Uh... I love that we have to wait the entire film to learn who Moneypenny is, and that we don't really have a traditional love interest in the film, that Bond's girls are kept to a minimum for the most part. That said, I sort of hate how awesome Moneypenny is set up as a field agent and becomes a secretary by the end of the film. It feels like a waste of the character they were starting to build. You know, I get that she's turning into Moneypenny and we want to turn into the status quo, but I'm going to hold off judgment until I see the next film because I'm hoping they give her more than just that obligatory scene at the beginning of the film. And I hope that they continue to... Em- 
integrate the MI6 characters the way they did in this film in meaningful ways. I love how much of a throwback M's inner and outer offices to the old days of the original films, and even the title of the next film brings us back into the, the world of the Connery films. I'm excited to dive into it, the final film of the series, and the one that's a true black hole for me, Spectre. So the film makes a bold start with this title graphic that says The Dead Are Alive. Uh, it's really a bold start, but it doesn't pay off in any meaningful way. I, I like the stylistic nature of it. We've never seen that before in a Bond film, but it ultimately doesn't feel like it means anything. Uh, I love that skeleton suit uh, that we meet Bond in. That's a, that's a fun, nice little piece that we don't normally get. The intro is awesome. We get those following buildings. That helicopter fight is epic and fantastic. The Daniel Craig hand-to-hand combat scenes are always a highlight for me in this in this series of films with him. The opening's fun and interesting, even if we don't have a clue what's going on or why. Though I love later when we get a reveal that Dench's M set this plot in motion. You know, I think that's really, really a solid way to honor her involvement in this series so far. In a lot of ways. If this was Craig's final outing, it would bookend it all quite well, but we'll get into that more a little bit later. This cast is pretty stacked. We get Christoph Waltz, Dave Bautista, Monica Bellucci. Even if Monica Bellucci is in the film for maybe seven minutes and severely underused, especially given the chemistry that she and Daniel Craig have, it's lovely to see an age-appropriate Bond woman with, with, uh, with Craig here. You know, Bellucci, I believe, is in her early 50s. I mean, she looks fantastic still, obviously. But it's nice that they 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 give someone like her that shot. Worked out really well for me. I liked her, I liked her a lot, and I wish she was in the film a lot more. Let's get into the good stuff. You know, Money Penny and Q and, uh, and the new M are all really, really enjoyable for me. I, I, I love, even though Money Penny isn't, isn't, as strong as the setup was for her, her being a field agent as well. I understand they want to get her back to the, the typical thing. I love that she's a mole. I love that we get to see her having her own sex life. That's great stuff. I could have seen more Money Penny in this film, even though she was in it quite a bit. Bond's relationship with Q has been one of the highlights of these last two films. It's really cheeky and adorable. I love them together and how integrated he and Money Penny and, and, and Q and or sorry, he is Q, and, and M and everyone is to the overall story, and that they don't just show up at the beginning, middle, and end just to give them gadgets and information. They're not just exposition machines the way that they were in the Bond films of old. One nitpicky thing in, in the Q storyline, they keep, they, he keeps on alluding to Agent 009 and how he made this car for him initially, and it was set up for him. The music selection he has is very specific with Sinatra. But then we never get to meet 009. I felt like we were really setting ourselves up for that, and I was disappointed that there was no payoff to what seemed like a really fun setup. I love that we get to see this 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 storyline of this potential merger between MI6 and other parts of the, the government. Um, and then, of course, as soon as M says the license to kill is also a license to not kill, we know what's going to happen at the end. You know, We know that Bond is going to make a decision not to kill somebody that he should probably absolutely kill. Uh, my biggest complaint here is that I assume from the get-go that this 
this guy they call C, who is also named Max, I believe, that that guy is Spectre through and through, especially when he says that Spectre, this this other agency, is everywhere. Uh, you know, it's not the first time we've been given a super on-the-nose hint by the person who's actually backstabbing us. So that was my only big complaint about that. And especially once he declares that they're going to close down the double O program, you know that they're doing it to protect themselves and to get those people off their, off of them. It's, it's kind of painfully obvious. Let's talk about our Bond girl, uh, Madeline Swan, played by Leah Sado, I'm going to say is how you say her name. She's fine. She does the typical thing where she declares that she'll never be in Bond's bed, and an hour later in the film, she's declaring her love for him, which I kind of don't buy. I mean, given how strongly we've seen Craig have chemistry with people in this series, this feels like a bit of a letdown, especially given the film's ending. He's definitely no match for Vesper Lind. I mean, hell, he's not even really a match for Monica Bellucci at the beginning of the film. And we're reminded that by Bluefield's mention of Vesper, too, just how lacking in chemistry he has with her. He even says she was the one. You know, it's definitely one of the downsides of the film. It doesn't ruin the film overall, but it just would have been nice to see him kind of meet someone who we felt was at least on a par with Vesper or that the relationship would grow into something like that. Quick shout-out to uh, Dave Bautista as Hanks. Super fun as our strong and silent type of a villain. He has a great hand-to-hand combat scene with Craig as well, with that great train fight scene, before he seemingly, we assume, bites the dust. Really enjoyed his, his, his role in this film. And now we get to Christoph Waltz's character, who you know we eventually reveal is Bond's typical arch-nemesis of old, Blowfield. But although he's not really Blowfield, he's got a different name. Blowfield is just a, a persona he's created, it seems. Uh, I really love the intro and the sly comment he makes. Why did it take him so long? Especially given that you know it's a reference to the history and legacy of Blowfield and Bond together. We get all the tropes. We get to see his cat. We get to see his scar eventually. It's nice to see the origins of some of those things here as well. They get some great banter. Uh, you know, Bond says, yeah, I came here to kill you. I thought you came here to die. It's all a matter of perspective. It's just great stuff. The other thing we learn here is that Blowfield has been the, the, quote, author of Bond's pain, so to speak. And he takes credit for all the terrible things in his life, in particular while the women he cares about end up dead, citing Dench's M and Vesper in particular. And it all comes down to the fact that his father took Bond in when, when his parents were killed, and Blowfield felt like his father liked James Moore. So like Silva in the previous from Skyfall, you know, Blowfield essentially had daddy issues where Silva had mummy issues. And this makes it feel like he created Spectre for the sole purpose of targeting Bond at MI6. But how would he know that's where Bond's life was headed? And it wasn't MI6 up and running long before Bond came onto the scene? And it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And it feels like they're really trying to force all these films together into a single narrative. And while I like that choice, you know, that's something we don't necessarily see typically in these Bond films, it feels clunky to me and gives Bond a bit too much importance in the grand scheme of things. And I get, I guess that these films are all centered around him, but I kind of like this idea of MI6 being a bigger world and, and Bond's just a part of it, you know? Uh, he shouldn't be the, the, the star attraction. It feels a bit wrong for me. Blowfield's a smart villain who does dumb things in the end for the sake of the narrative, and he should know better than anyone that leaving someone in an exploding building doesn't mean that they're dead. It's literally what he did early in the film. Bond's marksmanship has decidedly improved since the last film, when he constantly couldn't shoot properly. First at Blowfield's base, where he's taking down people from way far in the distance, uh, to his ability at the very end to shoot in a moving helicopter. 
I do love the end sequence. I love that it's simple and contained once again, just like in Skyfall. We don't get this nonstop montage of just random people shooting random things and cars chasing and all these kind of things. The action is focused on the task at hand. It doesn't overplay anything. doesn't lobby endless villains at us, throw them in Bond's way just for the sake of him dispatching more people. It's really, really lovely, and I love that that's the direction that the series has started to take in the end. It's almost too bad that this isn't Craig's final outing. It feels like he's finally become the Bond that we traditionally know. He's a bit more suave than the brute we met in Casino Royale, and if he's a- as if he's aged into that part and become somewhat more sophisticated. You know, we have our traditional MI6 core in place now, and it's far more interesting than they've ever been, in my opinion. Not that I don't like Judy Dench's M, but there's something really interesting about Ray Fiennes. I would watch a series of films with this M, Q, and Money Penny all on their own. Please make those. Make those movies. Make that TV show. I will watch it. We get to see Bond's restraint in having Blowfield apprehended rather than being killed for being the author of his pain. Uh, you know, it's a nice it's a nice arc for the character. So it's interesting that we know there's a Bond 25 coming. I, I don't know what it's going to be about. It seems like he walks away into the sunset at the end of this movie. You know, Blowfield's in custody. He could come back. You know, it would be nice if he did. It'd be weird to have... I mean, where do you go up from there when you realize that Blowfield has been designing all the pain Bond's been going through in the last three films? It feels weird to... It's just, where is this going? Where, where are we headed? I, I don't know. Uh, so let's see. You know, I, I, I'm all for keeping open-minded and seeing where it's going to go. Uh, although I will, I will just stay on the record. If it ended here, I'd be pretty happy with, with the results. So we await uh, for Bond 25 coming at some point in the near future, the next year or two. Perhaps I'll come back on later to tag that on to the end of this and reissue uh, this third part. I'll be doing more of these solo episodes in the future where I focus on a series of films or films by a filmmaker. So keep an eye out for them in the future. Thanks for listening to the final part of my ongoing James Bond series. Feel free to dig around to listen to the previous three installments if you jumped ahead and did this one out of order. Another reminder that if you like the show, please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word about it. You can find me on Twitter at Lon Jeremy and go to Facebook for Black Hole Films. Leave a review there or an Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to this thing. Rate it, review it, all those things. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.